Well, as we think about our life together here at Oakmont in the coming week, I hope that you'll look in your worship bulletin and see those places where you can connect uh, to participate, to worship, to learn together. I would especially call your attention to our operation in as much that's coming up at the end of this month, the last Saturday of October. You can certainly go down to Grand Central and sign up for uh, one of the projects that we'll have going on in Greenville, and it's not just Oakmont, but uh, a number of other churches, uh, as we have together historically, are participating together. Probably the preferred method is for you to go online and to sign up on our Oakmont website, but I hope you'll sign up for an Operation In As Much event. Well, Pastor Michael is getting his prayer answered after all this morning. I'm actually going to talk about a couple of men in the New Testament, along with several women. We've been looking at some of the women of the New Testament. So take your Bibles this morning and turn with me to Acts chapter 16, because we are going to meet two women here in this text, but we meet several other men who are very key to what's happening here. These are stories that we see in Acts 16 of people who have, for the most part, open hearts. They have open hearts to God. Now, when we begin in Acts 16 and verse 6, we see that Paul and his traveling entourage are trying to figure out where God wants them to go next. And it seems like this door gets closed and another door gets closed. But then in verse 9, we see that a door opens. Verse 9 of chapter 16. During the night, Paul had a vision. Of course, we've seen some of this on the video that, uh, that the children just saw and we shared with them. Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave from Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, they make their way into Macedonia, and they end up at one of the leading cities, one of the chief villages in that district of Macedonia. A Roman colony is called Philippi. And last week, we looked at two women at the church of Philippi. So this is where the church at Philippi, how it was founded, with Paul coming there. Let's pick up the story in verse 13. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river. Now, this is a Saturday. They're going down to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and began to speak to the women who had gathered there. One of those listening was a woman named Lydia a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Theatera, who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. When she and the members of her household were baptized, she invited us to her home. If you consider me a believer in the Lord, she said, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Once, when we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. 
She earned a great deal of money for her owners by fortune-telling. The girl followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God who are telling you the way to be saved. She kept this up for many days. Finally, Paul became so troubled that he turned around and said to the Spirit, In the name of Jesus Christ, I command you to come out of her. At that moment, the Spirit left her. When the owners of the slave girl realized that their hope of making money was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them inside the marketplace to face the authorities. They brought them before the magistrates and said, These men are Jews and are throwing our city into an uproar by advocating customs unlawful for us Romans to accept or practice. Now, if you kept reading the rest of this chapter, you'd find out that Paul and Silas are both beaten. They are flogged by these Roman magistrates and officials. They are thrown in prison. And at midnight, Paul and Silas start singing hymns. They start praying. And suddenly an earthquake occurs. It throws open the doors of the prison. All of the chains by which those prisoners had been shackled come unlocked. And suddenly the jailer awakens, sees the circumstances, and thinks all the prisoners have escaped. Now, if you are a Roman jailer and you have one prisoner escape, you pay with your life. So the Roman jailer picks up his sword, preparing to kill himself rather than let the Roman authorities do it for him. And suddenly Paul calls out and says, stop. Everybody's here. You don't need to kill yourself. And that's when the Roman jailer falls on his knees before Paul and Silas and says, what must I do to be saved? And Paul and Silas give him the answer. It's believe in Jesus. And as the story plays out, the jailer comes to know Jesus, his family comes to know Jesus, and they all are baptized, just like Lydia and her family down at that river. A lot of open hearts in this text. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, you know, it really is amazing what God can do with just one open heart. It's all it takes. If he can find just one open heart, it's amazing the kind of things that God can do. Now, in this particular text, it all begins with Paul's open heart. We, we've read the story. They're trying to figure out where God wants them to go next. You ever had a time in your life when you're trying to figure out what's next for you? What's What's next? What does God want me to do now? How does he want me to do it? That, Paul's trying to figure out what's next. And every door they try to walk through is closed. Scripture says the Holy Spirit prevented them. If you read those 
verses that we didn't read. It says that Jesus stopped them. What's next? And finally, Paul has this vision at night of a man that's standing and he's pleading, come over to Macedonia and help us. So Paul and his traveling companions make their way into Macedonia. They go to Philippi, and on the Sabbath day, they go down to the river. They go down to the river. we got a river here in Greenville. They, they go down to the town commons. How's that sound? And there they find some women who are down at the river praying. Now, that would not have been an unusual circumstance in a Roman colony, a Roman province like Philippi, that may not have had the male, you know, it takes the male population, enough males to constitute an official synagogue back in that day. There were not enough males in Philippi who perhaps were Jewish believers. And so the women, there were enough of them, they gathered down at the river. They were down there at a place of prayer. So all of what we've read in chapter 16, keep in mind, does not happen unless Paul has an open and receptive heart and mind. He wants to know, God, what do you want me to do next? It's amazing what God can do if he can find just one open heart and mind. Now there was another open heart and mind. And you know sometimes hearts open up in those times like they did with Paul where someone is intensely seeking him in his will. Paul goes down to that town commons down at the river and he meets Lydia. Lydia is an entrepreneurial businesswoman. She is a dealer in purple cloths. Doesn't that mean she had to be a graduate of East Carolina University? If she deals in purple? She's a pirate. And she's down at the river. She's, text tells us she's already a worshiper of God. We know she's probably a Gentile, meaning a non-Jewish person. Now, whether she has officially converted to Judaism, we don't know. But the text tells us she's a worshiper after God. She and some other women from Philippi are down at that river praying. Paul meets them. And the text tells us that as Paul begins to talk to her, it says, the Lord opened her heart. The Lord opened her heart to respond to Paul's message. And we know from the story that Lydia comes to know Jesus. Her family comes to know Jesus. All of them are baptized probably at that river there in, in uh, Philippi. You know, it's amazing. If God can find some open and receptive hearts about anything that he's doing. It's amazing how quickly he loves to show up and be a part of folks who are welcoming and receptive to what he's trying to do in their life, of a people called a church, like an Oakmont, when we're open and receptive to what God's trying to do. It's amazing how quickly God shows up because he welcomes people who welcomes him. 
with open and receptive hearts. You know, King David in the Old Testament spoke some words to his son Solomon. I want to put these words on the screen. Solomon was about to become king of Israel. And King David in 1 Chronicles chapter 28 verse 9 speaks these words to his son. He says, acknowledge the God of your father and serve him with wholehearted devotion and with a willing mind. For the Lord searches every heart and understands every motive behind the thoughts. And this is the last sentence I really like. If you seek him, he will be found by you. If you seek Him, He will be found by you. Lydia was seeking God. She had a heart that was open and hungry and wanted to grow and to learn and to be in God's presence. God opened up her heart to hear Paul's message. She came to know Jesus. She and her whole family came to know Jesus and were baptized. Paul had an open heart. And he kept trying to find the open door, and door after door kept closing. And finally, he kept seeking, and finally God came to him and showed him that vision of that man from Macedonia. Come over here and help us. What I want you to know this morning, if you've got that same kind of heart, if you're seeking God, if you want to be in God's presence, if you want to figure out what are the next steps, I want you to know that God will find you. And he will speak to you. And that's what I want you to think about this morning. Do you have that open and receptive heart for God? Like a Paul, like a Lydia. Do you? Have you got that open and receptive heart? You know, sometimes though, God finds us in those moments of crisis. When our radar screen is not up and running and we may not in that very moment be thinking about seeking after God, sometimes we have those seasons of trouble, difficulty, challenge in our life. You've had them at your work. You've had them in your family life. You've had them in some community or civic organization that you're a part of with a neighbor. Some personal challenge or crisis. Something in the life of the church. And you're like that Philippian jailer. You're in a moment of crisis. I mean, think about it. This jailer was on the verge of committing suicide. Life seemed so suddenly and quickly turned and desperate for him that he wanted to take his own life rather than let those Roman officials do it for him. The earthquake comes. The doors fly open. The shackles fly off of the wrist and the feet, the ankles of those prisoners, the jailer draws his sword and Paul says, hold on, all the prisoners here are present and accounted for, you don't need to take your life. And the man comes before Paul trembling, bowing down and says, sir, what must I do to be saved? And Paul gives him the answer, believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved and guess what? Your household, your family can experience that same salvation as well. And after further explanation, the jailer comes to know Jesus. And his family comes to know Jesus. And all of them, just like Lydia, 
were baptized. Now, you know, I'm, I was sitting here thinking, now there was a river down at the town commons available for Lydia and her family. Where did Paul baptize the jailer and his family? That, that kind of remains unanswered, doesn't it? We don't know exactly how that took place. You know, I want you to understand that if you're in a moment of crisis, if you're in a moment of challenge, you're going through a season of difficult time in your life, a season that's trying your heart and your soul, and it makes you want to give up. You know, there's a lot of people that give up to the point of they take their own life. It gets that desperate for them. They're so depressed, they're so despondent that they give up. God's not even on the radar screen. And I want you to know that even in those moments when God isn't on the radar screen, He still wants to come and join you in whatever the suffering or the pain that you're experiencing. And I want you to understand that He's just looking for a little opening of an open and welcoming heart, a receptive heart on your part. You know, God speaks in Isaiah chapter 65 to the people of Israel. I want to put another scripture on the screen for you to see. God is speaking through the prophet Isaiah. And this is what God says to the nation of Israel. He says, I revealed myself to those who did not ask for me. I was found by those who did not seek me. To a nation that did not call on my name, I said, here am I. Here am I. You know, sometimes we get in those moments of crisis. We get in those moments of challenge. We get in those moments where we're despondent and depressed and we don't know what the next step is. And we don't mean to, but God isn't on the radar screen. We don't even have the strength, the capability. We can't find the words to say, God, help me. That Philippian jailer did not have God on his radar screen. And in that moment of a crisis of an earthquake, when the doors fly open and the shackles come off the wrist and the ankle, ankles, the only thing he could think of was, I've lost all of my prisoners, or at least some of them, and my life is required. It's the end. And God comes to us in those moments. And He says to us, Here am I. Here am I. And He's just looking for a little opening on our part to be receptive. And He can bring His salvation to us in those times of crisis and difficulties just like He did to the Philippian jailer and indeed to His entire family. So do you have that open and receptive heart even in those moments that are challenging and trying? Do you? You know, sometimes, though, God shows up. But guess what? We have hearts that refuse to open up to His working in our lives. Between the story of Lydia the East Carolina graduate dealing in purple cloth down at the town commons at the river. Between that story and the Philippian jailer, 
We have the story of another woman. She's a slave girl. She's not free in a lot of ways. She's owned. See, there was human trafficking back in that day, Pam. She was owned by some men. And she had a spirit that purportedly enabled her to tell the future. She could predict, so to speak, what was going to happen in your life. And she made her male owners a lot of money as they took her from place to place and location to location to show her off and to, you know, get a little financial gain on their end. So this slave girl is harassing Paul. Day after day after day, she, she's coming to where Paul and Silas and uh, this traveling entourage of folks are. And even in her mental disease and dis-ease, she's speaking the truth about who Paul is. She, she understands that Paul is doing God's work. He's serving the Most High God. He's saving people and healing people. And finally, Paul just gets irritated. You know, he's getting distracted by this girl, and he turns to her, and he rebukes that spirit and completely heals this little girl. So here's this girl. She's got some kind of demons. Undoubtedly, she has some form of mental illness that in her day was not known as we know it today. She recognizes that God is doing her work, his work through Paul. And my guess is she's thrilled to be healed. She's thrilled to be free of these men, but guess who is not thrilled? These men, these owners who own this girl. You see, the healing of this girl cuts into their financial profits. The healing of this girl threatens their financial gain and their business gain. So you know, if God starts messing with my money, if God starts messing with my pocketbook, I better cut my losses. I better shudder my heart. I better eradicate the hazard to my financial livelihood. So it, it's these owners' selfish, closed hearts to the work that God is doing through Paul that brings Paul and Silas before the magistrates, which in turn leads to their flogging and their arrest, but ultimately the Philippian jailer and his family coming to know Jesus. You know, there are a lot of us who shut down and close the doors of our hearts really fast when God starts getting personal with us. Do you know that? A lot of us just shut down really fast when God starts getting personal with us. There's someone that brings, that God brings along our side, a neighbor, a coworker, friend, family member. And we know that God is leading us to share what Jesus has done in our life with that person, just like Paul was sharing what Jesus had done in his life with all of these people here at Philippi. And we just shut down. Close that heart right up. 
Because God's getting a little too personal with us. Sometimes God leads us to serve in a particular way. In His church. In the community. Through our jobs. But you know that, that invitation from God stretches us beyond our comfort zone. We don't like that. So God starts getting a little too personal with us and we just shut down. Tell Him no. Sometimes God invites us to let go of a bitterness or anger or frustration with someone and to offer forgiveness to a perceived enemy. But that's a little too close for comfort for us because we like festering and firing the flame of that bitterness and that anger and we won't let it go and we tell God no. Sometimes... God invites us to be generous with our money and our possessions, but God's getting a little too personal and He's asking a little too much of me, so we shut down the heart and we say no. Sometimes God is convicting us that we need to change a habit in our life that's not healthy and it's not productive, but we sure do love to indulge it. And so we shut our heart down and we say no. And what happens to us is that we, like these men who own this slave girl, we find that it's a whole lot easier to throw someone else under the bus rather than having to deal with the God of the universe. So we just shut the heartstrings down and we tell Him no. You know, I'm leading a group on Wednesday evening, and we're studying the book by Dallas Willard entitled The Divine Conspiracy. This is about the fourth time in the last 10, 12 years that I've taught this book because much of this book, The Divine Conspiracy, is a great Bible study on the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. The Sermon on the Mount is all about teaching us how to be the kind of kingdom members that Jesus has invited us to be, having His heart and His character as we relate to each other and to those around us. This past Wednesday night, we read a word from Dallas Willard that I think is a word that all of us who are seeking after Jesus need to hear. And I want to put it on the screen for you to see. This comes from his book, The Divine Conspiracy. And Willard writes... God does not like to be present where He is not wanted. You feel that way? You want to be present around a place with folks that you're not wanted and you know it? Well, God's the same way. He didn't like to be present when He is not wanted. And He knows when He is wanted and when He is not. Generally speaking, He, meaning God, will not compete for our attention. And as long as we are in charge, he is liable to keep a certain distance. Maybe your heart today is open. It's open like Lydia's heart, like Paul's heart, because you're intently seeking him right now. You want to know what the next steps are. You want to make sure that you're walking hand in hand with Jesus. So you've got open hearts. 
Maybe your heart today is open like the jailer. You're in a moment of crisis. You're in a moment of challenge. But there's a little opening there and God saw it and he sees it now. And he's going to come and be there with you in that crisis. You've got an open heart. But the thing I think we've got to be careful about is not becoming like these slave girl owners who had closed hearts. Because always remember, as Dallas Willard said, God will not compete for our attention. And as long as we are in charge, he's liable to keep a certain distance. Let's pray together. Well, as God's Spirit is speaking to you right now, what kind of open and receptive heart do you have? On a one to ten scale, with one being completely closed and ten being wide open, where do you place your heart and your mind and its openness to God? How do you grade yourself right now? What's happening in your life that requires God to come and be with you? And what are those ways and what are those places where you shut that heart down and you tell God you'll go but a certain distance with Him? God, it really is amazing what you can do if you can find just one open heart. Thank you for the open heart of Jesus who gave himself up for us and in whose name we pray now. Amen.